I think of all the questions that I get asked as a pastor, um, by far, the, the biggest one is, what is the will of God for my life? Uh, so where does he want me to go? Uh, who does he want me to marry? What job should I take? What should I major in at school? Life, well, it's full of decisions. And as followers of Jesus, we want to make the kinds of decisions that reflect his heart. And we want to do things that are in line with his will and his word. Um, there's this Columbia researcher. Her name is Sheena Iyengar. And uh, she did a whole bunch of research over a number of years on the art of decision making. And what she found is that the average person makes 70 conscious decisions every single day. And uh, that's not including all the subconscious ones, of, of which there are literally millions. But we make 70 conscious, and you add that up, over the course of a single year, that's 25,550 decisions. And over the course of a lifetime, it's 1.7 million decisions. So who you are now is the summation of all the decisions that you've made up until this point. Um, it was Albert Camus, uh, that philosopher, who said that life is a sum of all your choices. So you put together the decisions you've made thus far, and that helps to explain who you are now, and the decisions that you make moving forward, well, it's going to affect your trajectory and the kind of life that you live. So, so here's the question that haunts us in the midst of all these decision-making processes is, am I doing the will of God? Um, we want to live a life that matters uh, in the short amount of life that we have and the years that we have, uh, we want to make sure it's maximum for kingdom effectiveness and impact. And in fact, David, he put it this way in Psalm 90, verse 12. David prayed, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And this struck me recently. Um, it's so fascinating to me that David said, Lord, teach us to number our days, because we typically think in terms of years, right? I've got another 10 years, or another 30 years, or another 50 years, or whatever the case may be. But the Bible says, no, we should be thinking more in terms of our days. Why? Because our years aren't guaranteed us. Uh, life is fleeting. Life is short. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen this afternoon, for that matter. And so the only time that matters, well, is the time that is before us right now. So, so what are we going to do with this gift of the moment in the fleeting amount of time that we have? Now, recently, uh, the brevity of life was brought home once again. Um, I found this website. Maybe you've seen it. It's called deathclock.com. Um, if you want to be encouraged, don't go there. Uh, because basically, deathclock.com is a place where it asks you a bunch of information, like about your, your date of birth, uh, then it asks like BMI, uh, your sex, your age, whether or not you smoke, all of that kind of stuff. And then you hit the enter button. And based on statistical analysis, it calculates the day of your death. So <laughs> I, I enter in all my information, I hit the enter button, and it's really cryptic because a skull pops up on the computer, and, and on the skull, it has counting backwards for effect the amount of seconds that you have left in your life. So you're just watching the seconds diminish as you're wasting them looking at this website. And then it tells you the day of your death. So it turns out I'm going to die uh, December 25th, 2049, Christmas Day. 
Like, how horrible is that? So <laughs> I'm, I'm there. I can see it now. I'm an old man. I'm with my grandkids. My wife buys me a walker or something. And in my excitement, I choke on my eggnog. And that's the end of it. Like, that, that's what I have to look forward to. So, so the Bible says life, life is really, really short. We should think then in terms of our days. Um, there's this one author. She put it this way. She said life, <laughs> life is so short that you could actually summarize it in four words. Um, she said when you're a kid, the word is spills. When you're a teenager, the word is thrills. Um, when you become an adult, it's bills. And then when you're elderly, the word is pills. Uh, so there you have it. All of life, four words, spills, thrills, bills, and pills, and that's it. So, wow, life is short. The Bible says life is a vapor. Um, in the midst of, of the brevity of life, here's the question. How do we make each moment count? That's what David is saying. God, I don't want to live a single moment outside of your will. And I know that's your heart. I mean, that's why you're here today. You're at church. You're seeking God because you're faced with decisions. And as you navigate through these decisions, maybe even some you have to make this week, you want to know, okay, God, what what is your will? So that brings us back to the question. How do we know the will of God for our lives? And, and really, to, to bring us to the meat of today's study, I, I want to draw your attention to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, because here, the Apostle Paul enters into this subject. Here we go. Romans 12, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what the will of God is. So I I honestly think that this is the most important verse in all the Bible as it comes to the will of God. Notice how Paul starts. He says, I beg you. Um, It's a very strong word. I beg you. I beseech you. I implore you. Just think of a guy asking a girl to marry him. Like he's on his knees. He's passionate about this. I beg you. um, Don't let the world press you into its mold, but, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. And then notice, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So this is where we get a little deeper into the text. Uh, For those of you who like to take notes, and uh, for everything Jose is telling me, like you guys are so hungry for the word, um, you may find this interesting. The word then in in the Greek language is the word dokimazo. And uh, dokimazo, um, it means to discern or distinguish or to know. And and there's this logical uh, argument that that Paul is making here between the will of God and and what happens in our own life. He says, we begin with the inner life. We we focus on being the right person. Uh, We are fully surrendered to God. And what will follow, the, the outworking of that is you will be able to discern what the will of God is. Now, again, if you note takers, um, you could simply put it this way. How do I know the will of God? Well, number one, we cultivate godly character. And this point is so huge. And I'm just still trying to wrap my mind around everything Paul is saying here. He says, God's primary will for your life is not necessarily where you go or the achievements that you earn or the letters after your name, or whether or not you get married, or what city you live in, or what job you take, as important as those things may be. 
God's primary will for you, though, is that you become the kind of person who is fully abandoned to him, um, that you reflect his image and his beauty, that, that you become someone who has the character of Jesus. I often obsess over what do I do? Where do I go? What decision should I make? But what God is concerned about is who am I becoming? Now, for those of us who are parents, we can totally relate to this. I, I have a 10-year-old daughter. Her name is Amelia, and I, I call her Amelie Bug. I've called her that since she was like two months old. Less and less, she's appreciating that name. Um, but she's 10 years old. And those of you who are parents, you know that as you're raising your kids, when they get older, when they leave the house, your, your goal is you don't want to have to micromanage them. <laughs> you, you don't want to be telling them everything that they have to do with the, their life. So 25-year-old Johnny or whatever, wear these clothes or go to that school or purchase this house or live in this city or apply for that job or marry that person. Now, some of you are thinking, that sounds wonderful, actually. Um, in fact, I do that all the time. Um, but for most of us, you're like, no, no, I don't want that kind of relationship with my kid. We don't want to tell them what to do their whole life. Our goal, my goal, a- a- as I'm raising little Mealybug, is... Not to raise an automaton, but rather a mature woman of character and discernment. And more than anything else, that is the will of God for your life. In fact, this is mind-blowing to me. Every single time you see the phrase, will of God in Scripture, guess what? It has to do with your character. Um, And let me give you just a a few laundry lists of of verses here. Um, Beginning here, Romans 12, Paul talks about, here's God's will for you. Give your life to God. So that's a good starting point. (laughs) Like if you're here today and you're like, I don't know God's will for my life. Well, have you surrendered yourself to him? Are you a follower of Jesus? No. Well, that's his will for you. Get saved, right? So that's a good place to begin. Second Peter three, verse nine. God's will is that you would repent. First Thessalonians five. The will of God is that you be a thankful person. First Peter two. This is the will of God. Honor and love people. Ephesians 5, here's God's will for your life. Don't be drunk with wine. Like that's a really practical point. What's God's will for my life? Well, don't get drunk. So the Bible says, forget the spirits of this world. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's real clear. Um, Colossians 4, God's will that you would be mature. Hebrews 10, perseverance. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, this is the will of God, your holiness. That's again, that's so practical. How do I know God's will? Well, are you cultivating the kind of holy character um, in the decisions that you make and the stuff you look at online and the, the, the places you go in your mind and what happens in your dating relationship? God's will is, well, your holiness. But pastor, a guy told me recently in his early 20s, it's like, Dom, my girlfriend, you just don't understand. Like, I'm so tempted right now. She is so hot. He kept saying that. She's just so hot. She's so hot. I'm like, well, so is hell. Um, <laughs> That that doesn't make it right. Like, are you wrestling with God's will? Yeah. Well, begin here. Begin with the inner life. Um, Flee from from sexual sin. Be a thankful person. Surrender yourself to God. So again, you, you could do a whole study on this. Every time you see this phrase, the will of God, it's about character. It's about the inner life. And, and what, what scripture seems to argue is that 
if you have those things in place, if that's your priority, then all the other details, um, all the other things that you're wrestling through and trying to understand where do I go, what city, what major, what job, those things begin to fall in line. Um, there's this great quote, a guy named Devin, Kevin DeYoung, and uh, he's a theologian. He said, the decision to be in God's will is not a choice between Memphis or Fargo or engineering or art it's the daily decision we face to seek God's kingdom or our own, to submit to his lordship or not, to live according to his rules or ours. Wow, that, that is so good. Your calling in life will only take you as far as your character. So before we can pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, as we pray often around here, we first need to pray, God, my kingdom go. <laughs> so when my kingdom goes, then the kingdom of God comes to fill that vacuum. So how do I know the will of God? We start with character. What kind of person are you? Not just publicly, but privately. Who are you in the inner life? Number two, I know some of you, you're like, Dom, just give me like real practical things. Well, this point is for you. How do we know the will of God? Number two, we listen. We listen. Uh, he was discouraged. In fact, he was so discouraged, he left his town and he went into the desert and he found this little solitary cave and he cries out to God and he says, God, my life is coming to an end. I need you to show up or else I'm going to die. Now, some of you know the story I'm speaking of. It's Elijah, and it's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. He was so discouraged, so down. The spirit of Eeyore was all over the place. And he's like, God, just please show me what to do. And what happened in that story? Well, it says there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then there was the sound of wind that was tearing apart the rocks, but God was not in the wind. And then there was what? A still, small voice, a whisper. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Elijah, this is your will or my will for your life. This is where I want you to go. Uh, this is what I want you to do. When God speaks in our life, 99% of the time, it's not going to be in some dramatic, overpowering way. Now, maybe you've had that happen in your life, and I'm jealous of you. But for most of us, it's a whisper. It, it's that small, subtle impression. It, it's sublime. It's gentle. But he, here's the thing, and honestly, I'm really wrestling with this right now. In order to hear a whisper, I first have to quiet the noise. The noise that's around me and the noise that's within me. And this is tough. Like, maybe many of you can relate to this. Like, got a lot going on, super busy. And so many times in the midst of the busyness of our life and the freneticness of our schedule, we don't carve out time to be still. Scripture says, be still and you will know that I'm God. Literally, it's be still and then you will know. So we find clarity is born out of stillness. We find a quiet place. Um, I, I don't know what that looks like for you. Um, I have a friend, he has seven kids, and it's really tough to find a quiet place with seven kids. Um, so what he does is he literally 
locks himself away in the bathroom for an hour. And like, that's his quiet time. I guess there's a throne in there too. So like, like that, that's just his time with God. I don't know what it may be for you. Now that's less than inspiring, but maybe it's just a walk in the countryside. Uh, maybe there's a mountain or hill you can go to. Maybe just sitting in your car. I, I don't know what it is, but you find that quiet place and you have a quiet heart. You take a deep breath. You open your hands. You unclench your fists. And you listen, okay, God, what, what is it that you want me to do? You listen to the voice of the Spirit. Um, you listen to the voice of Scripture. Um, scripture, well, it's a lamp to our feet. And it's a light to our path. And again, it's one of the things I, yeah, it's one of the things I love about the Jesus Church family is that there is a hunger for the Word of God. And you get into Scripture and it's going to illuminate your path. It's going to show you what to do and where to go. So the voice of God is poured out most generously when there is room in our heart to receive him. So we begin here. Are are we listening to God? Number two, we need to listen to the voice of others. And and this is huge because honestly, (laughs) there are times in my life where I think I've heard the will of God and then I go share it with my wife or I share it with someone close to me and they're like, no, that's lame. That's like really stupid. You shouldn't do that. Um, Sometimes it's just my flesh that's talking. Sometimes it's my tiredness. Sometimes it's last night's pizza. I don't know what. And so I need people in my life. We all do who we can go to and say, look, I'm wrestling with this. I'm I'm trying to understand this. I think this is what God is telling me. What do you think? There is power in community. Every one of us should at least have a person or two or three in our life, a missional community or home groups. Is that what you call them now? You change the name, right? Sunset communities. communities. Yes. Sunset community. Um, you, You need someone in your life where you can be like, yeah, I'm struggling with this and Pray for me. <laughs> Help me. And, and I know that there are some people today who are like, I don't need church. I just had a conversation with a guy recently. He's like, I don't need church. It's just me and God and nature or whatever. And we, we disconnect ourselves from the body of Jesus. But, well, when we do that, honestly, we are setting ourselves up uh, to not really hear very clearly. A friend of mine told me a story of a guy who he stopped coming to this local church. And uh, it had been like three months and the pastor, he was getting worried about him. So he showed up at his house and he, and he knocked. He just wanted to pay him a visit. And he could tell that the guy was there because he could see some shadows kind of in the background and could hear some noises, but no one was coming to the door. So for 15 minutes, he's just standing there, just knocking, waiting, being real patient. Finally, this is kind of pastor humor here. Um, he got on a piece of paper and he wrote down on the paper, Revelation 3.20, which says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And, and, if you, and if you open up the door, I will come in and have dinner with you. So the pastor thought this was really cute. So he put it underneath the door and he left. A couple days later, the pastor goes into his office at church and there's a piece of paper under his door and he opens it up and it was a scripture and it was from Genesis. It said, Genesis 3.10, behold, I heard your voice in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. <laughs> now, I, I know that, that, that there is this tendency in some of us where it's like, look, I can just, I can give it a break. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to church faithfully or whatever. But listen, listen to what the book of Proverbs says. It actually has a ton to say about um, listening. The way of fools seems right to them 
But the wise, they listen to advice. Um, here's another one, Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So do we have those people in our life that can speak? Listen. Okay, Lord, I'm listening to you. I, I found a quiet place. I'm opening my heart. I'm, I'm listening to others in, in my small group or people at church or my wife or someone at work. And, and, and I'm listening to godly counsel. By the way, godly counsel, this is huge. And then the third listening aspect is we listen to our own life. And this could be a whole other sermon. Don't worry. But every one of us have been wired in such a way, well, you have unique gifts and talents. Um, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you who you are. And, and what I'm learning is that very often the will of God will be consistent with who he's made you to be. So for example, I know it's not the will of God for my life that I should become worship pastor of Sunset. Trust me, if you've heard me play guitar, you would say, amen. It would be a disaster, horrific. We're talking weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, church split. That's not God's will for my life. And, and I think we have to honestly engage uh, with our own life and the trajectory of our, our life and, and just ask simple questions like, okay, this decision that I'm praying through, does it make sense? Um, is it consistent with who God made me to be? Am I, am I gifted in this area or am I a little deluded here? Um, listen to your life. Uh, allow God to show you based on your trajectory and, and areas of growth patterns and dreams and trajectory, all of that. And then as you're listening, those things become apparent. So number one, how do I know the will of God? Cultivate godly character. Become the right person. Show through your life this desire to listen to God's heart, to listen to the voice of others, to listen to your own life. And then thirdly, and finally, and again, this is, this is really practical. Just do something, <laughs> just do something. Or if you want to use spiritual language, take a step of faith, whatever. Um, this, this point's huge. I think sometimes we can get overly obsessed with certainty. The fear of making the wrong decision. Like, do, you, do you wrestle with this at all? What if I'd make the wrong call here? What if this isn't God's will? What if I make a mistake? What if it doesn't work out? What if she says no? Uh, what, what if I go on that path and it's a disaster? And very often what happens is fear keeps us from the life of faith. Some of us can struggle just with making decisions. Um, there's a researcher um, at Princeton. He's a philosopher. His name's Walter Kaufman. And 40 years ago, he, he did a whole a study on certain kinds of people that struggle making decisions. And, and he called it decidophobia. Now, uh, maybe some of you wrestle with this. <laughs> you have this affliction. And if you don't know what decidophobia is, um, it's the feeling you get when you go to Cheesecake Factory and they hand you the menu. <laughs> I, I was there a few weeks ago. It's the yellow pages. Oh my gosh. There's like thousands of things. I'm spending like 45 minutes. I don't even know what to get. I panic and order an Oreo cheesecake. Like, <laughs> just sometimes in life, it's kind of the equivalent of the Cheesecake Factory menu. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And because we don't have 100% certainty, we don't do anything. 
So months go by, years go by, and then you're 95. What is the will of God for my life? Well, you may have missed the boat at that point. You see, you cannot steer a parked car, right? If, if you want the car to be steered in a direction, well, put it in gear. Just, just start moving. Well, what if I'm wrong? What if I make a mistake? What if I do go in the wrong direction? Here's the beauty of following God. God is big enough to correct you if you go the wrong way. Like there's a story in the Old Testament of a guy who went the wrong way and God corrected him very dramatically. A whale ate him. So what if I make a mistake, Dom? Like what if I do the wrong thing? There could be a whale in your future. (laughs) But at least you're doing like... God, God will guide you. God will lead you. He'll show you. Now, now there's this quote by Augustine. And track with me here, because um, if, if you take this the wrong way, it could be a disaster. Um, but Augustine, he said, love God and do what you want. Now, I read this and I'm like, that sounds like really bad advice. Like, what I want more than anything is for In-N-Out Burger to come to Portland. Like, <laughs> is that the will of God? Yes. It is. But <laughs> what, what is he saying there? What is he saying there? Love God and do what you want. This is what he's saying. He's saying, if you're loving God, if he's number one in your life, then you will make the kinds of decisions that will reflect his heart. Jesus put it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and All these things will be added to you. Here's the verse, uh, Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. So delight in him. That means just love him, seek him like you're doing, worshiping him, following him. As you do that, what happens is God's number one, then your desires begin to mesh with his desires. And the next thing you know, doors start to open. There's opportunity. Things start to happen. In faith, you're like, okay, I I believe. I've sought counsel. I've listened to God. I have a peace about it. I have went to scripture. I'm I'm, I'm not 100%, but I'm 90% or 80%. So I'm going through this door. And as you take that step, God meets you on the other side. Nicholas Walterstorff, (laughs) just amazing last name. He said this, faith is a footbridge that you don't know will hold you up over the chasm until you're forced to walk out onto it. And I just wonder, um, I was praying last night for you guys and our time together. And I, I just have a sense, maybe it's just for two of you or three, I don't know. But maybe that's a word you. Like, you know what the will of God is. He told you like five years ago, (laughs) but for whatever reason, you haven't done it yet. Uh, God's put something on your heart last week and, and yet there's been fear or what will others think of me? Or it's really hard to give that thing up. Or you know that there will be a cost. I think for some of us, we know God's will, but it's fear that's actually keeping us from taking the leap over the edge. So um, my, my wife and I, I, I met her um, when I was uh, 24 years old, and I just gotten back from the mission field. I spent three years in a, in a small uh, country called Vanuatu, which is in the South Pacific. And for those of you who haven't heard of Vanuatu, it's uh, pretty primitive. Uh, we lived in huts, um, no electricity, no running water, 
and they, they speak this language there called Bislama. And I, I learned this language and I had to teach uh, the Bible. Uh, a bunch of about 30 guys who came from different islands came to this school and we took a year going through the Bible, speaking this language. Now, Bislama is like this combination of Tarzan uh, meets caveman meets pig Latin. And so it was really interesting learning this language. Um, a couple examples. Um, because they don't have Walmart there, <laughs> um, you would kill, kill your food and, and eat it. So they, they had slingshots, but you wouldn't say slingshot. You would say elastic blong shoot em pigeon. Um, that's, that's the word slingshot. Or the word piano, which is by far my favorite Bislama word. Um, you wouldn't say piano. You would say, himi one big fella box where he got white teeth blong him, mo he got black teeth blong him. Most suppose you kill him teeth blong him, himi sing out long you. That's piano. So I'm teaching the Bible and I come to the word justification. I'm like, this is going to take like six months, just this word, right? So it's a really interesting language. For three years, I'm there. I got back. I look like Tarzan or something, truly. Long hair, just straggly, loincloth, all of that. So I'm in Medford, um, the epicenter of progressive culture, um, Medford, Oregon. And i just gotten back and I uh, was at church is a great place to meet a spouse. And a friend introduced me to this uh, young lady named Elisa. Beautiful. She had just gotten back from the mission field. And I had just gotten back from the mission field. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you just meet someone really beautiful and you're just tongue-tied. Like you, you don't even, like you're really awkward. I'm kind of socially awkward anyway, but especially after three years in the jungle, <laughs> I'm like, me, Dominic, you, woman. <laughs> it was a weird start to the conversation. Um, so... <laughs> So we had this conversation, and I just had this sense like I was supposed to ask her out, but I, I was really nervous, and I honestly was too afraid. So after the conversation was over, we went our separate ways, and for days, I'm kicking myself, like, why didn't I ask her out? Why didn't I at least get her number or something? It was uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm driving in one of the streets in Medford, Oregon, and I'm praying. And I'm like, God, um, I can't stop thinking about this girl. I don't know if you've ever done this like in your dating days or you're dating now, but you're like, God, um, could you just, like this is becoming a real distraction for me. I keep thinking about her. So can you just take her out of my mind so I can be more focused on you? And then I said, but, <laughs> but if, if she's the one, have you ever prayed the one prayer? Um, if she's the one, I pray that I would run into her today. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Ten seconds later, she runs in front of my car, and I hit her, and she spent six months in the hospital. <clears throat> I'm, I'm totally kidding on that part. So, <laughs> so no, no, no. Okay, rewind. So, <laughs> like, that explains the wooden leg. Now I know. Okay. So, so I'm in my car and I pray, Lord, take her on my mind. Or if she's the one, I prayed, run into her day. Jesus, name, amen. 10 seconds later, I see a Starbucks. I'm like, ah, oh, I could use some coffee right now. I pull into Starbucks. I open the door of Starbucks. It's a crazy story, true story. I open the door and two feet away, literally two feet away, she, she's standing, just standing like this right there as if she had been waiting for me her whole life. And the angels of God are like, hallelujah. And I'm like, 
what, what, what are you doing here? She's like, I work here. What are you doing here? I wanted coffee. She's like, I just got on my break. I'm like, cool. Will you go out with me? <laughs> so I asked her on the, on the spot. And we just celebrated 15 years together a couple weeks ago. <laughs> now, I know there are times in our life where it's like, you know, God's making it really clear. Now, maybe it's not, but you know in your heart, like God's speaking and he's shown you. Maybe, maybe it's in the area of finances and just greater generosity. Maybe it is a relationship, a dating relationship to pursue or maybe one to break off. Um, maybe, maybe there's someone that God has put on your heart to forgive. And it's been 15 years and it's really hard, but you know this is his will for you. And maybe there's been bitterness that you need to let go of. Maybe there's a tough conversation that God's calling you to have. Uh, maybe it's in the area of, a, of a integrity, just, just being the same person publicly as you are privately. Maybe, maybe it is in your private life. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's an addiction. I, I don't know, but I do know the Spirit of God even now is just speaking to our hearts. And I know that Saying yes to the will of God so often means saying no to what's unhealthy and destructive. What is he calling you to do? In order to step into that, we first have to let go of whatever fear, whatever insecurity, and whatever it is that is holding us back. Faith is the art of saying yes to life and to the spirit of God. So I, I want to close with one last thought. And, and this could be maybe um, the most important thing that I share with you today. I know for some of us, um, when we talk about the will of God, this is honestly very, very discouraging. And it's a hard uh, talk to hear. Because for some, you look at your life right now, <laughs> And you see areas in your life where you made decisions last week or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and they were massive mistakes. Like you went outside of the will of God. You intentionally went outside the will of God. And, and as a result, you're dealing with pain. Uh, you're dealing with the consequences of those decisions. Maybe there's just brokenness in your past. It could be a failed marriage or you violated your integrity Maybe you betrayed your values in some way. Uh, maybe, maybe you just gave into a temptation instead of running. And when we're in that place, there, there is this propensity in our heart to think, God is finished with me. I've, done, I've already missed his will. <laughs> that boat has long since sailed. <laughs> there is no way that God can use my story. And, and, and listen carefully. <laughs> You are not saved by the quality of your decisions. You are saved by the grace of God. <laughs> and you have never made a decision that is so bad that God cannot forgive. And even if your story has brought you to a place of brokenness, God is all about putting broken people back together, right? That's the beauty of the gospel, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The gospel tells us that there is healing, that there is reconciliation, that there is redemption, that there is hope. The Bible says in Romans, God's gifts and callings are irrevocable, that no matter how far you have walked, from the will of God. He has not walked away from you. 
So I just want to close today. And again, thank you so much for having me come. Um, If you have not yet given your life to Jesus, today is that day. Maybe you've made 20, 30, 40, 50 years of mistakes. But with God, the decision that makes the most difference is the decision that you make right now. Will you surrender yourself to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable? This is his will and this is your act of worship.